we are trying to build a company that has longevity. Everybody is so focused on getting through next month or next summer or next year. We are trying to build something that is going to be extraordinary. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Welcome back to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. My name is Chad Towner. I'm very excited because today we've got two guests, one of which you know, Brett Bushy, the CEO of Freedom Forever, and Henry Ka. And uh, Henry, Brett, how you guys doing? Doing fabulous. How are you doing, Chad? I am doing great. I'm glad you didn't call me C-Town. That's <laughs> the only guy who gives me that nickname. Happy Henry, to be here. Looking good. Looking good. Um, you got a Freedom Forever shirt on. I saw that you recently announced on LinkedIn that you are now working with Freedom Forever full time. Yes. How's that feel? Uh, feels fantastic. How long have you? Uh, how long you been looking at and working with and talking with the folks at Freedom? I think we started in November last year. Oh, it was November. I remember it very well. All right, so we're going to get into this because Henry, we'll just dive straight in because Henry has been a, a an integral part of one of the strategies that we've been doing here at Freedom Forever. Um, for those of you who are in the solar industry, it's no secret that about a year ago right now, this is fall of 2022, a year ago, it seemed like the whole world went into disarray with in terms of supply chain, and it seemed like it was even more compounded um, in the solar industry with regards to supply chain. So um, Henry has been in the in the business with solar panels and manufacturing um, for decades and has all this experience. And we wanted to bring him in and talk to him about the Freedom Forever panel strategy. But before we get into any of that, I was with you back at RE Plus a, about a month ago, and we walked the floor and we were walking past all these companies that manufacture panels, they sell panels, they, mm -hmm. they white label panels, all the different equipment manufacturing companies, all the OEMs out there. And everybody seemed to know you. How did you get to the point where you seem to know everybody in the industry? Well, I, th I think really there's, there's really two sides. There's the U.S. market and then there's uh, the, the manufacturers that, that are in Asia. Right. So I, I'm, I know both sides because since really in 04, I've really been spending half time in Asia and half time in the U.S. So I've, since 2004, you've been working in both countries. Right, right. And, and now I'm, I'm actually on a business trip, but it's an extended business trip since like early May. <laughs> right, Brett? Can't get rid of him. He came over here and he just keeps staying. <laughs> Yeah. He's overstayed his welcome. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. We need him to go back to Beijing. Yeah. I keep hearing him tell me he's going home in two weeks, but yeah. he's been saying that yeah. since July. So yeah, that, that's like a whole nother story. <laughs> so I know that from our experience, from our side of the business, I talked about how a year ago, you know, the supply chain because of COVID and everything else, um, you know, it just seemed like the whole world fell apart for, from a, from a logistics standpoint. Um, Brett, you were, very you, you felt that probably more than anybody in in the room what was that like when you know you first started to look at the supply chain crisis and how it might affect freedom i always say that it was, it was november 5th i remember it and uh, it's like freedom's pearl harbor all right like we get a call from 
our two largest panel manufacturers that comprised 85% of our overall pipeline. And both of them within 24 hours said that our panels have been seized. They don't know why, and they do not know when they're going to be released. Um, and, uh, I never thought I would receive a call like that in freedoms in my freedom existence. And I'd been doing this now for about six and a half years back in November of 2021. And I just didn't see this coming. I try to prepare for every possible catastrophic scenario and always have a plan B or plan C, but, um, I just missed this and, uh, I was shocked and surprised. And so, I immediately opened up my Rolodex and knew, you know, we are a big company. We have a lot of inventory, but we only had about six to eight weeks of inventory left. We had to find modules. We had to find them fast. I had to find them in the U.S. because I also knew in my limited due diligence that it would take, you know, two to four months to get them across um, the ocean into our hands. And back then we were in the midst of a supply chain crisis. So it might have been six months. So um, we had to get very, very creative. And in doing that, I mean, I was at the bottom of my Rolodex and I remember Morton Lunn, all right, who is an attorney from Stoll Reeves. And he was the gentleman that I had to convince to write our 25 year production guarantee. It's the first production guarantee really in residential solar. He had written most of the production guarantees in CNI and we had a good relationship, but I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. And I said, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happened. And a lot of people know this affected so many different installers, but there's some installers that were lucky like QCell to this day, to my knowledge, have not had any panels seized by the U S government. We unfortunately used two companies and both of them got seized. So it affected probably us and one other large company, but you know, it had the potential to be catastrophic to us. But ultimately we found a way, um, talked to Morton. Morton said, Hey, one of my buddies that I've known for about a decade, Henry Ka, just called me. You should call him. He'll know where if there's any panels here in the US, he'll know where they are. And literally, I hung up, called Henry, we connected, and probably a week later, we had an agreement to buy. 66 megawatts of panels, which was very, very crucial. So that kind of took the immediate pressure off. But then at that point, we needed to come up with a short-term solution, but we also had to come up with a long-term solution. And once you realize there's a blind spot that you didn't know really existed, you got to figure out a creative way to do that. And there were so many different things that were going on. And so we came up with this awesome plan all right. And we're going to go in and we're going to manufacture panels. Um, and I think we were going to do it in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we have that plan ready to go. And I'm telling everybody we're going to have panels in about two to three months. Everything's ready to go. And the Oxen petition gets filed in March. And for those listeners that don't know what that is simply is that was um, potential tariffs that made it very difficult to get panels into the country without a risk of tariffs in four different countries, one of them being Thailand. So we had to scrap our plans. Thank goodness we hadn't executed contracts. No cash had changed hands. And we had to shift gears to outside of those four countries. So it wasn't a perfect solution, but I'm very thankful that 
that didn't happen a month later because we would have been literally manufacturing panels in Thailand that we probably couldn't have got into the country without the risk of them being seized. So that's the Reader's Digest version of how Henry and I met. Remember, remember the 5th of November. I unfortunately will. Like, um, But it, it does, it has made us stronger. And we've turned something that could have been such a negative for our industry and freedom in general. And I really believe we've turned it into a positive. But a lot of it has to do with the guy sitting right next to me. Yeah, so, so on that day, and Brett... <laughs> You had to have been pretty desperate to call your attorney after all the people in your Rolodex to try and find panels, right? Like that's the last that, person. That would... is not the guy you think is going to produce <laughs> right. somebody that knows someone. And he knew nothing about residential solar, not nothing, but he is incredibly intelligent. He's focused hundred percent on renewable energy, but everything was on the CNI space. And we actually ended up buying the panels from a utility that had the panels safe harbored in 2019. So they ended up in a warehouse and they had been sitting in a warehouse for a year and a half. I think, I think we scrapped the last of it. Oh, we did. Like we didn't, we, we realized we did. We bought in two increments, 20, 28 megawatts, and then another 38 megawatts. And they gave us the breathing room to come up with, you know, that gave us three or four months to come up with the strategy. It's a lot longer of term strategy. work. So, so Henry, how frantic was Brett on that first day that he called you? Was it like, hi, my name is Brett Bushy. I own a big solar company. I need panels right now. Can you, what was no, that like? I don't think he came off that way. I don't think he came off that way, but that's how, that's how I remember it. But the- <laughs> I, I'm never frantic. All right. When I don't know anyone, I am a big poker guy. And so I guarantee you, I was frantic on the inside and it was my first initial meeting with them. But I mean, I was very, very nervous. I mean, I, it was an unprecedented time. I mean, you're talking about we had 70 megawatts, 80 megawatts on order that were seized. And like, it wasn't like, well, when do you think they'll be available? In two weeks, four weeks? We don't know. And a lot of those same panels are still right now being held. They have not been released back to us. So it's crazy. Like, um, and in business, especially when you become big, as big as freedom has become, you want certainty. And just having something like unstable like that happen to you shakes you to the core. And what we had to do is figure out a long-term strategy where that can never, ever, ever happen to us again. And I think we've come up with a pretty good strategy. Yeah. And I want to talk about the strategy. Um in a minute, but, but from that time when, when things kind of all went crazy for the next several months, it was you, Henry, basically just trying to call up all of your old contacts, anybody you could find that could find us any panels anywhere. And it was the term people use is spot buys, but you know, getting as many panels as we could. And there were some times where it it seemed like, you know, we were trying to figure out, are are we going to have panels next month to mm-hmm. install right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what was that like from your side i i think i think we had like a slight probably like two to four week front runner position because because after that there's no more we literally found the last warehouse in the u.s and we took it all 
I saw that it was a gigantic. It was a pretty big loan. Yeah, yeah we had to pay cash <laughs> for it. There was no terms. There was nothing like that that you generally get in business. And we knew at the time. I mean, we acted, and we probably closed the transaction within days. And I've never done a transaction like that of that size. I mean, we're talking about you know eight figure transactions being done in a matter of days. But that's what we needed, and we wanted to lock them up before anybody else figured out. No one else knew that those panels existed in that particular warehouse. We Brett, got to them before yeah. everyone else. Brett's also a tough customer to please. He he needs to get it at the right price. Yes. Remember that? Oh yes, that was a, it was the right price. I mean, that, circumstance. But but that that was the situation we were in, right? Like everyone else who didn't whose panels didn't get seized, they had purchase their panels at a price prior to all of the chaos before everything just went up. And I think they, I mean, panels almost doubled overnight or, or I guess depending on the module did go up by, by two X. That was the start of panels going up because you had to get inventory out. There was still some safe Harbor and we found the last of it. A lot of people thought it was really smart to save Harbor, but you know, obviously after the, the extension of the ITC that wasn't so smart anymore. Safe Harbor didn't have as much value as the but, ITC. But I mean, they were all gone. People snapped them up. All right, so so we get these panels, um, and I know a lot of the narrative that everybody liked to out out in the field would say like, "Oh, they're commercial panels." You know, um, I know we were just happy to have panels, mm -hmm. but what's the difference between a commercial panel and a residential panel? Residential panel is very special. I mean, there's the aesthetic aesthetic component of it, but due to it, it had to have a special connection, the connector issue. Okay. Stubley MC4, that's a big thing. I mean, we found a lot of panels, but can do Stubley MC4. So I hate we had that to, phrase. So it, it that phrase I the despise. Whole, what the, does the that whole mean? Stubley MC4 thing took like three months. And I, I find something, well, this is a good price. At a good location, we're gonna get him, and then Brian, our COO, is oh no no no. There's a short. There's Wrong a shortage connector. on the connector, and then that could create a fire risk. And back in Solar City days, there was a system fa failure, and they had to recall a lot of projects. And the last thing you want to do is put anything on a roof that has a fire risk. So we had to walk away from all of these deals, and then there was a shortage on the connectors in Asia. On top of everything in Asia. So the modules that you guys ended up securing did not have that. They were they were more compatible for residential. Yes. Yes, which was hard. So you were it was like finding a needle in a haystack. I didn't realize how lucky we were back in November when we found those. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what has happened since then. You you, you we start coming up with this concept of hey, like you said, Brett, we don't ever want to be in this situation again. Um, would you say, I think you've used a term before, like panel certainty and supply chain was maybe a blind spot in the past, but you wanted to turn that into something that was a stable, consistent thing that we could rely on and not have as an issue moving forward. So how did the eventual, what we know now as the, you know, the freedom module, how did that concept start to come about? Yeah. It, I mean, it started with Henry. Like we couldn't do this without Henry and his connections. And quite frankly, I haven't learned Mandarin as fast as he learned English. <laughs> right? So I still don't understand anything. 
and I didn't realize it's tonal. So a lot of times I'll be on a conference call with Henry and he'll be translating and we'll have a normal conversation. Then all of a sudden he starts yelling at the person all right, on there. And I'm like, why is he yelling I at get that, that person? But I mean, that's that's the tone in Asia. Is this you know? normal or, or are you kind of arguing and negotiating or is that just no, I mean, the in, tonal to, to, to in, communicate in, what in, you're trying to get across? No, in Asia, it's about stance and position. There's party A, party B or party A. Yeah. So we have a normal conversation. All right. We'll be on a team's call. He'll start yelling at them and then I'll go, what my, just my happened? He goes, I, I don't. Yeah, it's just so normal now. I don't. He comes back. I, I go, what happened? He goes, oh, they're all good. The deal's done. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand what just happened. You just yelled at them and now everything's okay. And they seem and they're smiling. Although they're saying after Henry yelled at him, I don't get it, but it works. With the new panel strategy, the panels you guys were buying just to keep, keep crews busy and keep us installing. Brett, you negotiated as good as you could, but there were times where you just, you know, it was either having panels or not having panels. And so the prices went up. You created a panel adder, which you've never had before, at least on a base module. We've had panel adders on premium panels, but this panel adder we had to institute um, against everyone else in the industry who said, you know, they don't have a panel adder and they're, we're never going to have one. Why did you do that? And why, what do you think has come from that? You know, we believe that ultimately the industry will get back and it will have a sense of normality again. All right. We still haven't gotten there. And so in the interim, rather than raising baselines um, or other people's equivalent red lines, we just decided to go the route of having a pain ladder. And ultimately that was just to offset our costs. But I want to make sure everybody understands is during this 12 month period, we did not offset the panel adder that we've added has not offset the increased cost of equipment. Um, our equipment costs have went up by 38 cents a watt. So, and the most we've had a panel adder is 24 cents and we only really recoup 80% of that. So we only recoup about 19 0.6 cents of the 24 cents. So in the interim, we did that, but we felt they would start to stabilize and come down. And we are starting to see the early signs of panel pricing stabilizing. But the other thing that we did with the freedom module is we just cut out a lot of middlemen. You know, um, I hate inefficiency. And I didn't realize on the panels how many different middlemen there are in the panels. I mean, you have six different companies manufacturing different components. So you go from the silica, the quartzite, the silica, to the polysilicon, the polysilicon, to the ingot, the ingot to the wafer, the wafer to the cell, the cell to the module. And everybody's trying to make a profit in that um, supply chain. And so we've eliminated not every one of those, but we've eliminated a lot of them. And we've been able to bring our costs down by about 10 cents a watt while increasing the efficiency. And I think we have a better panel than we've ever had as our base panel. So one thing I've heard before is that these elements that, that, com that make up the components of a panel, um, that, that it's somewhat of a finite resource but I've also heard conflicting information. So quartzite, silica, are those, are those rare in, in, on the planet Earth? No, they're pretty abundant. 
13, 13% of the Earth's crust is silica slash quartzite. It's very abundant. Every country has it. We have it here in the U.S. if we wanted to mine it. We could do the entire supply chain here in the U.S. Um, and why that would be more expensive than overseas, you know, there's that those possibilities are opening up with the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, I was going to get to that. So with the Inflation Reduction Act, there is an additional stackable adder that you can um, basically get a higher rebate on the tax credits if the panels are manufactured in the United States. And is there a certain percentage of the panel that needs to be manufactured here? Does it all have to be done here? Have they given any guidance as to how you could qualify for that additional rebate? Because the amount that is available, if you maximize it, is is massive. I mean, I, I can't mm -hmm. imagine that I'm sure everybody's looking at bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act. Right. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, we've attended a lot of attorneys calls, investment banking calls, um, accounting calls to interpret the rules. But I don't think anybody's going to have any real definition until late January. But, but there, there's a lot of um, discussions and plans for U.S. manufacturing. Is it safe to assume that we should expect more manufacturing plants to start being stood up in the United States over the next, because it's a 10-year They're going to see it. Yeah, bill. they're going to see it. Brett, as you have implemented this new Freedom Panel, the first panel that came out was the 370-watt triple black module. We called it the, the Mach 1. And now we've got the 400-watt module at the Mach 2. Um, what's the difference between the 370-watt and 400-watt? Is it a bigger panel? Is it a bigger module? It's the same exact size. It's just it's a more efficient cell. But what's exciting is that unbeknownst to us when I started this process is that people don't realize that modules are made mainly for commercial and industrial installations. 95% of all panels are installed on CNI projects. Now, because of that, they make them a certain way. And only when I started talking and hearing terms like MC4 did I realize what a problem this was. And so what we did is we worked with our engineering team, Brian Eaglesayer, Matt Markham, Henry, and we started changing some things. We actually bought, brought our manufacturing partner over to the U.S. and they're going through our warehouses. And we figured by making some really small changes, we could maybe cut down a half hour to an hour of installation time by moving things on the backside of the panel around without changing any of the quality and just make it easier and faster and having less waste. Now, for somebody like me, a lot of people throw around, you know, five cents a watt, 10 cents a watt. Like if you can save one tenth of one penny a watt, all right, that is over a million dollars for freedom over an annual year. Like that is massive to us. And so when we talk about cutting a half hour off an installation or an hour, that is a huge benefit. Again, we didn't mean to get this benefit. It's just one of those things of just being in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, it's been an incredible benefit. And we're excited because the 400s are just starting to be installed right now. So that panel, the 400 Mach 2 panel, was designed 
by our installation and operations people who basically kind of reimagined how a panel should be should should work from a for a residential rooftop solar installation right the the rest of the panels are designed to be out on a field somewhere or on a commercial building but they have to lift these panels up onto a roof it, it, it's it's a true collaboration yeah but this is the first solar panel designed for residential that's ever been done so and it's not because we are more just because we're the only people when you talk to manufacturers just overseas, gave them a lot of input and, and they were willing to collaborate and, and they were thrilled about it. Yeah. They wouldn't have, it, it, they, they don't even know who the residential installers are. When you go over there and you would talk to them, they would go, what do you mean? CED and Sonopar and the other distributors, they're the largest installers. We're like, no, they're the largest customers because they aggregate buying from all the small to medium yeah. sized installers, but they're not the actual ones installing it. But I was shocked at how little they knew about the residential sector, but it's a small percentage of their business. Why would they know and take a deep dive into it? So having that opportunity, um, we just kind of fell into, but it's been yeah, a true it's blessing. A lot of collaboration. I mean, they, they didn't get why it had to be like less than 50 pounds. Yes. Right. So right. why, don't, why don't you take a silver panel? Well, no. Yeah, no, right. triple black. That's mm -hmm. that's my wheelhouse. I know mm -hmm. how important that is for sales guys. Yeah, but even, you know, back sheet. And did you know that solar cells had, has five colors that you can choose from? I did not know that. You know, five colors of light, um, dark blue to like black, black. To me, it's either blue or it's black. And uh, I think to sales, it's either a good looking panel or an ugly panel. But Brad, I know you differ from from sales on yeah, that. Yeah, blue looks better on clay tile roof and any red type roof, and black look better on cop shingle. I think that's my own personal view. But you know, to me, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I put poly blue panels on my house. So a lot of people on the sales side, they're out selling these triple black panels. They wouldn't put blue panels on their house, and they're charging a premium price for what they're considering to be a premium product. You know, we have a 450 watt module or, you know, there, I'm sure there's a 500 watt module around the corner at some point. There's um, 700 watt. <laughs> yeah, so but they're we get the bifacial and we could get out of control with the wattage. At the end of the day, it's still square footage absorbing sunlight. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what, what is the message to those people, Brett is, is there, as long as they have roof space, what's the value of wattage? To me, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of value in the wattage. All right, uh, people talk about panels being more efficient. To me, um, as long as you have the square footage, I don't think it has a lot of value. What I also will caution against is that if you're installing panels over 50 pounds and you start getting any of these high wattage panels that are 58 or 70 pounds, that is against the recommended. Um, uh, wait for OSHA for it to be safe. So that's why we try to keep them as light as possible and keep them under 50. If you're installing a 440 or a 500 watt panel, that may be 70 pounds. We take safety very seriously here at Freedom. We probably spend five to six cents a watt on safety. And a lot of our competitors don't. We know that. So they don't really care whether it's a 44 pound panel or a 58 or a 70 pound panel. Like, our installers are what freedom's all about. And we have to make sure that we do it safely and keep that weight under 50 pounds. We're going to set standards. 
there's going to be a day, Chad, maybe in a year or so, where all of a sudden you're going to wake up and there's going to be a standard. It's going to be the freedom standard. And it's because we're doing things that are more environmentally friendly, more conscious to installation and just much friendlier to the residential and, and the um, installation market. Because manufacturers weren't focusing on this market at all previously. They're all, this is what you get and this is what you eat. But we took a complete different approach. You guys have reimagined the panel, how it... No, how even it, down to the packaging, even how it stacks in the warehouse, you know, the innovations and in, in type of um, pallets that it comes in, the way it's packaged, the way the frame is. There's a lot of waste, right? So, so on, on the crate side, I mean, all these things gets loaded on a 40-foot container, right? I mean, our standard width is 35 millimeters. And then, you know, it took like at least two to three months of arguing, or I wouldn't say arguing, trying to really... He, was, he would say arguing. Yeah. Hearing yeah. your phone calls with Telling them China. this is what you need to do. They're Spirited all, conversations. Spirited conversations. They're all, they're all, Henry, 30 millimeters. I'm all, no, 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 35. How many times do I have to tell you that? Yeah. No, but you're going to get more efficiencies. You're going to save less in, in container space. Well, that's not good for us, right? We need to stack them high, 35 millimeters. It's what's needed for installers and with the optimizer equipment. Right, can't take 30. No, how about 40? I'm all, well, that's too much. Well, it doesn't come standard at 35. I'm all, figure it out. And, and we negotiate in not pennies, in tenth of a pennies in, in a lot of these situations. Well, to Brett's point, a tenth of a penny is yeah. well over a million dollars for freedom. Sometimes, so. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, cert, like the MC4 stuff? Yes. We calculated it to a hundredth of a penny of what it should cost, and they should not go over that. And Brett, I remember when you were first going down this road, you know, I, up until a year ago, I, I had never heard you once mention that we wanted to get into the panel business or have anything to do with manufacturing anything. We wanted to just stay laser focused on installs. Um, but after you'd started going down this road, we'd ask you questions as to why and you know, you rarely even mentioned the cost savings. I mean, that was kind of an ancillary benefit. You always would refer to um, our need to do this, to stand up to kind of some of these inhumane labor practices that are going on overseas. And, um, you know, everything else was just kind of a, a, an added bonus. So you, you often would tell us, like, we need to stand up to this and, and uh, you know, set an example. Where, where did that come from? And uh, do you feel like we've done that? Yeah, there, there's two issues. Is, is One, we need to make sure that we can control our supply because if you're a solar installation company that has a lot of employees, if you can't install solar, that is very, very problematic. So that was the driving force of what made us go down this road. But also when you really start uncovering and you see what is going on with some of the forced labor practices, we also wanted to make sure, and I talk a lot about this in servant leadership. You know, a lot of people talk about servant leadership, but very few people practice. Even the people that talk about it because it's become such a cliche, they're not walking the walk. And if we are um, installing panels that are not ethically sourced, I have a problem with that. 
We all should have a problem with that. And it goes against our mission-oriented focus. And so one of the things that we do is when we go out and we do manufacturing in one of these countries, we have an independent group that is physically there, all right, um, a company by the name of PI Berlin. They're amazing, and they audit everything. We actually know the religious orientation and how much all the employees at the factories get paid to make sure that they are getting paid a living wage because that is important to us. And while the living wage, they might have not have minimum wage standards or a labor void like California, but we have to be self regulated on this subject because we need to be proud, even if it costs us more money to work with these types of manufacturing plants. That's what we want to do as an organization. And that's why we're really proud of it. And the cost savings is just a byproduct of just being in the right place at the right time. We never, ever wanted to become the first residential company to install solar all right, with their own branded panel. SunPower kind of did it in a day, but mostly when they were using the SunPower panel, which they've now spun out of SunPower, that was typically done through third-party installation organizations. So, And so we believe we're the first company to ever do this, but we never set out to do that. So I want to be really good at one thing, and we want to be known for post-sale operational excellence. But to be able to do that, you have to make sure that you ethically source your equipment. And most importantly, you need to have the equipment to install. Otherwise, you don't have a very good business. Yeah, and this panel isn't a white labeled panel, right? This is this is beyond just it's slapping customized. a freedom sticker on somebody else's module. This was designed and and man, we're not doing the manufacturing. Freedom isn't doing the manufacturing. We we basically came the recipe. Okay. Yep. Give them the recipe. That's a good way. Which is that bomb, as they call it in the industry. What is the bomb? Bill of material. Oh, I thought it was really cool. Sorry. (laughs) Right. Our panels are the bomb. Yeah, they're the bomb. So, Henry, one last question. What is the future of solar as it relates to the manufacturing industry? Um, I I think we cover some of it there. You're going to see a lot of U.S. manufacturing, whether it's efficient cost effective or not we it's um left to be seen and judged um but asia manufacturing will still stay because it's just that efficient over there and brett we're coming up on your one year anniversary november 5th is right around the corner um how you feeling about this november 5th versus last year it's unbelievable the change and and we've went through i could argue the most challenging 12 months in um, freedom's history, but also our industry's history. There was just a lot of change and there was a lot of disruption. But to me, I think this could be the second industrial revolution. I get excited again to be an American because we just don't make anything anymore here in the U.S. Now, that's a generalization, but it's true. And what made us a superpower. We became an economic superpower because of the things we did in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. So we can figure out a way to manufacture here in the U.S. You're going to see polysilicon plants. You're going to see manufacturing wafer, cell plants. All that is coming to the U.S. and it is going to be massive, way bigger than everyone thinks. Because remember, we talk about residential solar growing so fast. It's only 
one out of 25 homes have residential solar. 24 out of 25 do not have them. Also, you know, and we've talked about this before, is consumption is going to double with electric cars. So we're going to need a massive need for renewable energy and solar modules and batteries. And with the domestic tax credit, it's all coming back to the U.S. We are going to see manufacturing jobs in in literally almost every state. And that's exciting. Like we like haven't been able to do anything like this for the last 50 years. Last 50 years, we're shipping jobs overseas. Yep. Now they're going to be coming back because of the Inflation Reduction Act. It's exciting. That's extremely exciting. And, um, you know, it's a credit to the foresight that both of you guys have had you know, to, to stand up manufacturing in North America and eventually in the United States, it would take a lot longer. You guys have a year, you basically have a year head start on anybody else who wants to do this because of what you guys have done over the past 11, 12 months. So a lot of times, like, um, I get way too much credit for this stuff. This was creating the freedom panel was a defensive maneuver. All right. Based out of necessity but he's the one who made it happen, not me. All right. So I do. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. you. All right. Like you've been awesome. And so much of this has been good planning. A lot of good things have happened, but a lot of it is luck. And, you know, I really do believe more than anything that God has his hand on everything that we're doing. And like the fact that I ended up talking to him and calling Morton, which was probably the last guy. I don't even know why it did it. He's the last guy on my Rolodex that I would think that would know somebody would have panels. And then when I, when I first came back in, in May, you're all, oh my God, you're like the person that I talked to every single day that I've never met in real life. I know it's crazy. And we had done business for like six months. Every single day we're on a call. It's 4 PM our time. What was it like? 7 AM in Beijing Seven or six. Yeah. yeah. I remember you're always like, oh, I got to get on a panel's call. I've yeah. never talked to anyone. <laughs> I've, I haven't known anyone from China in my like entire life. Day. So, and it just happened and it's just fortuitous and lucky. And I'm just thankful and feel very blessed and a very lot of gratitude towards you. And just, um, it's exciting to be a part of this. Yeah, I know. I know you guys never planned on building and getting into the manufacturing and creating your own panel. It's been amazing to watch and observe from from my side. It's been painful to see that panel adder incrementally go up and up and up. It's been amazing to see it start coming down. Brett, what does the roadmap look like for the panel adder over time? It's going to zero for sure. It's just a matter of time. So, and I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. But again, a lot of people, I say stuff, I don't know. It's like having a crystal ball. All right. I am not a tarot reader. I have no clue how it's going to happen, but I see a lot of general macro things that are going on that get me excited. I'm hoping that the entire adder can go away in Q1 or Q2, but you know, we'll just see. So a lot of it just has to do with like raw materials, polysilicon. Something cra- crazy fact is polysilicon went up something for like it was 40, 40 some straight weeks. Weeks. It went up every single week, incremental 40 plus weeks. And that's what drives price. And a lot of it is supply. Some of it is demand, but a lot of it is the unique nature of what happened. Like the oxen petition was devastating from a cost standpoint. It's put a lot of installation companies out of business. 
And, you know, there's a lot of headstones. We know, you know, what happened to, you know, um, a fairly sizable company last week that played a part of it. There was a lot of other factors behind that, but you know, it, it has been a tough year for our industry and I'm just glad it's more in our rear view mirror, but I'm really excited about the future. Like, um, I can't wait. Um, you know, I see us opening the last 20 States are dependent on equipment costs and also capital costs going down, but I can see, you know, I, I think we'll see that panel ladder going away really soon. It's been amazing to watch how something that has been thrown around in the, in the rest of the industry as such a, a negative or a disadvantage for selling with freedom or working with freedom because of the panel ladder um, to see what you guys have created. And, and I believe that has gone full 180 and it's a, it's a massive advantage um, what you guys have created and, and with the panel that we now, you know, have our own freedom forever panel, which is unbelievable. And I never, ever thought that we would have created something like this. I just thought we were always going to be staying focused on installing. And, um, so also very appreciative to you, Henry, for everything that you've done. Like Brett said, you were like the perfect guy you fit. You were the missing puzzle piece to what we needed in order to execute our strategy. So very grateful to you. Thank you guys for your time. And, um, if you guys are out there and you feel like you have a shortage of panels and you need to get your hands on some panels and don't know where to turn, make sure you call your lawyer. Thank you guys for the time. And uh, we will see you on our next episode. 